Wondery Plus subscribers can binge new seasons of American Scandal early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. It's July 2016 in Wolfsburg, Germany. Inside Volkswagen headquarters, Matthias Müller sits at a long glass table. He's surrounded by company executives. They're talking about earnings and projected sales, but Mueller can't focus. He keeps tapping his pen against the table, feeling jittery and anxious. Mueller gazes across the conference room. When he took over as CEO, he asked his aides to brighten up the place. They added big leafy plants and large photos. Mueller was pleased. The room used to feel stale, and now it felt alive again. It was a powerful symbol. This was the kind of spirit he'd bring to the company. But the feeling didn't last long, and as Mueller catches his reflection in the glass table, what he sees is a scared, aging man, a man who faces an incredible threat. The executive next to Mueller shifts, and Mueller snaps out of it. Volkswagen's lead accountant is describing the company's financial situation. And lastly, I I must address our civil settlement in America. At $14.7 billion, it presents a, a tremendous hit to our bottom line. Mueller blanches. No auto company has ever been forced to pay so much for its mistakes. Thank you. We're fully aware of the settlement, but we must have enough in reserves. The accountant straightens his shoulders and offers a broad smile. Herr Mueller, it's good news. We have $18 billion set aside. Excellent. All right, now moving on. Where are we with sales this quarter? The numbers are promising, sir. Sales are still down, but revenue is climbing steadily. Mueller beams with relief. He can feel his chest relax. Money can solve a lot of problems. And as long as the billions keep rolling in, his job is safe. Thank you very much. Now, as for next quarter sales. But just then, a communications executive clears his throat. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, but we must address the latest allegations from America. Mueller stiffens. It seems he can't ignore the elephant in the boardroom. U.S. officials have made damning accusations. They say Mueller personally knew about Volkswagen's plans to cheat air pollution tests. Now, believe me, sir, I'm certain you have nothing to do with this uh, emissions business. I know everyone at this table feels the same. Nevertheless, it is important that the company issue an official response to the charges. Mueller struggles to push down his anger and fear. He must keep control. If I had nothing to do with this business, then it's obvious what you should tell the Americans. And what is that, sir? Tell them the truth, that the allegations against me are groundless. Understand? But, sir... Mueller casts a withering look at the executive, who offers a quick, bashful nod, and then sinks back into his chair. Now, everyone, shall we move on? The room stays silent, and as he shuffles his papers, Mueller catches his own reflection again in the glass table. His eyes are ringed with dark circles. His face seems to sag. And it's at this moment his worst fears start to bubble up. Yes, the company will survive the crisis, but Mueller knows he may not. The Americans are furious, and the U.S. authorities have been very busy. Slowly but relentlessly, they will go after every Volkswagen executive they can. It's only a matter of time before they come after him. American Scandal is sponsored by Audible. A room locked from the inside. A dead body, but no signs of injury or struggle. The deceased, a devoted family man, successful industrialist, and generous philanthropist. Everyone around him seemingly innocent, but hiding a secret past. In four sentences, I've grabbed your attention. 
And this is the power of classic mysteries and thrillers from Audible, like Esquire Magazine's number one best mystery novel of all time, Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. As an Audible member, you can choose one title every month to keep forever from the entire catalog of classics, bestsellers, new releases, and Audible originals, ready for listening whenever, wherever on the Audible app. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash AS or text AS to 500-500. That's audible.com slash AS or text AS to 500-500. Dell TechFest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com slash deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. That's dell.com slash deals. From Wondery, I'm Lindsey Graham, and this is American Scandal. For decades, Volkswagen was a crown jewel in the European auto market. But when the world learned it had cheated with its diesel cars, the company took a number of hits. The diesels were pulled from the road, and lawsuits flooded in from practically every country where Volkswagen did business. And after three long years, Volkswagen's reckoning was far from over. The company continued to adopt a defiant posture when responding to criminal charges. And it repeated the same defense. According to Volkswagen, no one in upper management was involved in the diesel scheme. But the U.S. Department of Justice would step up efforts to hold the company accountable, and that would mean arrests, trials, and ultimately, prison. This is Episode 4, The Wheels Keep Turning. It's September 9, 2016. James Liang rises from his chair inside a federal courtroom in Detroit. He makes sure his back is straight, and his expression plain. It's a hot day in Detroit, and the air conditioning in the courtroom doesn't appear to be working. So Liang wipes his brow, but it's not just the temperature that's making him sweat. Last year, when news of the scandal broke, federal authorities immediately got to work on an investigation of Volkswagen. They wanted to know which employees actually constructed the defeat devices. Those individuals would be charged in criminal court. The investigators followed the clues, which led them to Liang's doorstep. Liang is a 33-year veteran of Volkswagen's engineering department. He's at the point in his life when he should be thinking about going into retirement. Instead, after facing prosecutors, he's probably going to prison. The judge reviews the charges against Liang. Prosecutors say that he was one of the engineers who developed Volkswagen's defeat device, the software that allowed Volkswagen to cheat on air pollution tests. They also say that Liang helped come up with the lies that Volkswagen used to trick the EPA. Liang stifles a sigh because he knows that they're right on both counts. Liang doesn't dispute the truth of the allegations, but the truth is also complicated. It wasn't his idea to hide illegal code in the diesel engines, but it was his responsibility to create it. He was given an order. Liang never liked the idea of helping his company lie to customers. Yet, when he's honest with himself, he admits that he loved the challenge of creating the code. 
It was subtle and sophisticated, and it was good enough to fool complicated government tests. Yes, he committed a crime, but it also felt like an act of invention. It was ingenious, but for all the wrong reasons. The judge asks Liang a series of questions. Liang responds with simple yes or no answers. It's the strategy his lawyers recommended, come clean. And in a way, it's a huge relief. He doesn't have to hide anything anymore. He doesn't have to lie. The judge asks the final question. How does Liang plead? Guilty, he says. The gavel comes down with a bang, and Liang's lawyer leads him toward the exit. The lawyer says they'll return in January for sentencing, and Liang can expect to be sent away for three years. Liang stares at the floor, feeling stunned. Suddenly, his fate is all too real. He wipes his nose and makes his way to the exit. Liang emerges from the courthouse, blinking in the bright sunlight. As his eyes adjust, he spots a crowd of reporters. They're a big pack. They're all waiting on the sidewalk. Liang pushes past them without saying a word. He's done talking about Volkswagen. He's already said what he had to. He spoke with officials from the federal government, and they told him that if he cooperated, he'd get a lenient sentence. So he did. He gave information to federal prosecutors about Volkswagen's diesel scheme. He knows his plea bargain will cause a lot of problems for a lot of people, especially people in Germany. Well, he thinks, for years he did his best to cover for them. Now they'll just have to fight their own battles. It's October 2016 in Salzburg, Austria. Wolfgang Porsche rises from an overstuffed chair and walks to the front door of his vast home. He peers through the peephole. Two reporters from Der Spiegel wait outside the door, with tape recorders and notebooks in hand. Porsche forces a smile onto his round, lined face and opens the door. Welcome, welcome to my home. But before you come in, make sure to get a picture of that. He points at his shiny 1963 Porsche, parked in the cobblestone driveway. The reporter glances at the classic car and shakes his head. No thank you, Mr. Porsche, just the interview, please. Porsche senses immediately that this isn't going to be an easy interview. It's not a puff piece. He'll have to be cunning and tactful as he proves to the reporters that Volkswagen is headed in the right direction under his guidance. Very well, please come in. The group enters and makes its way to the living room, where flames crackle in the fireplace. It's here that another man rises to greet the reporters. Good afternoon. I'm Hans Michel Piesch. The reporters nod. Porsche knows they don't need an introduction. Anyone who reports on cars knows him and Hans Michel, his cousin. They're grandchildren of Ferdinand Porsche, who founded the Porsche company and helped build Volkswagen in the 1930s. Today, the Porsche and Piesch families control Volkswagen, and the two cousins have emerged as the spokesman for the family. The four take their seats in a set of leather-backed chairs. The lead reporter dives in. Mr. Porsche, Mr. Piesch, was it a difficult decision to sit down for a joint interview, one Porsche and one Piesch? That's a typical Spiegel question. You think our families have nothing better to do than fight with one another? You know that's not true. Okay, then, in typical Spiegel fashion, we would like to ask about current problems at the company. Your families are the largest shareholders of the Volkswagen Group. Volkswagen is currently embroiled in the biggest crisis in its history. What went wrong? Hans Michel answers, and Porsche can tell he's choosing his words carefully. There are legal and technical questions to be resolved. We must recoup our financial losses and win back the trust the company lost. Your decision to install Matthias Müller as CEO was controversial. He previously held senior positions at Audi, Volkswagen, and Porsche. How can he be a credible figure to lead the company out of the crisis? 
Porsche pauses before answering. He knows that right now he must defend Mueller. He has to show that Volkswagen is being run by steady hands, that the company and the two cousins watching over it are unshakable. Nothing can destroy Volkswagen. We need to look ahead. And for that, we need someone with the requisite abilities. There was little discussion about the appointment of Mr. Mueller, and this decision has proven to be the correct one. The reporters continue peppering the cousins with questions about the diesel scandal. And with each question, Porsche remains unflinching. The two families will guide Volkswagen through the crisis, he says. The company has a long, gilded history, and in the years to come, it will remain strong. The two families will make sure of it. Soon, the interview comes to a close, and Porsche and Piesch walk the reporters to the door. Porsche feels satisfied. Once again, he's made it clear who really controlled Volkswagen. It's not the CEOs who come and go from time to time. It's not the other members of Volkswagen's board. The real power lies with the Porsche and Piesch families. And those two families will continue to shape Volkswagen from within, even if it means taking ruthless action. It's December 2016 in Salzburg, Austria. Ferdinand Piesch steps his foot on the gas pedal of his sports car. He zooms past Emerald Hills, which are dewy from the morning rain. Piesch is 79 years old, but he's still fit, trim. He has short cropped gray hair. At times, he may feel his age, but he never accepts it. That's part of the reason why he still drives with the reckless confidence of a man 60 years his junior. Piesch knows he's well over the speed limit, but he feels he's earned the right to drive where he wants, as fast as he wants. This afternoon, Piesch, the brother of Hans-Michel Piesch, is on his way to the police station. Piesch is known as one of the greatest living car executives of the last hundred years. In the 1960s, he ran Porsche's legendary racing program, and in the 70s, he transformed Audi into a luxury brand. He became CEO of Volkswagen in 93, and later served as chairman of the supervisory board. It was during this time that Piesch began mentoring a promising executive named Martin Winterkorn. Winterkorn shared Piesch's approach as an unapologetic leader. He seemed equally obsessed with dominating the auto industry. But once Winterkorn became CEO, Piesch began to see flaws in his protege, shortcomings and sloppiness he'd never tolerate in himself. Piesch's jaw tightens as he rounds a sharp corner, still confounds and enrages him that the board sided with Winterkorn when the big conflict finally arose. Piesch had tried to oust the CEO. He knew it was in Volkswagen's best interest that Winterkorn had to go. Yet impossibly, the board had rallied behind Winterkorn and turned their back on Volkswagen's patriarch. Piesch promptly resigned. It was the first power struggle he had ever lost, and he did not like the feeling. Piesch pulls up to the police station. Before he's even had a chance to turn off his engine, three investigators rush out to greet him. They bid him a good afternoon and thank him for coming in. The men lead Piesch into a small interrogation room and shut the door. Piesch takes stock of his surroundings. The investigator apologizes for the cramped quarters. It's the only room that's completely private. Piesch says it'll do and takes a seat. He leans forward. And then he tells the investigators he's happy to share with them whatever they'd like to know. The two policemen share a knowing look, and the lead investigator replies that they're looking into the Volkswagen diesel program. Any helpful information would be greatly appreciated. Piesch leans back, strokes his chin, and thinks about the year before. He says that he is no longer on the Volkswagen supervisory board, but last year, February 2015 to be exact, he still was. The investigators lean in and Piesch smiles. They're waiting for a silver bullet, something that will blow open the entire diesel scandal. 
Piesh continues and says that someone, he doesn't remember who, informed him there was a major problem with diesel emissions in America. Naturally, he was concerned. He mentioned the disturbing news to a few board members. And, that's right, Piesh says, he brought it up with Martine Vinterkorn. The investigators look at each other in shock. Piesh hides a coy grin. He knows perfectly well, just now, he's completely undercut Volkswagen's official statements. From day one, corporate officials, including Vinterkorn, have claimed that no one in upper management knew about the defeat devices. The company blamed lower-level engineers and said they'd gone rogue. The lead investigator asked Piesh what Vinterkorn said in response. Piesh shrugs and replies, he told me not to worry about it. With that, Piesh says he really ought to be getting home. The investigators thank him for his time. Piesh exits the station, climbs back into his sports car. He smiles to himself as he drops his foot on the gas pedal and speeds away. The wind blows through his hair and Piesh feels alive and invigorated. Volkswagen is a family business and nothing will destroy the Piesh or Porsche families, nor should anyone cross them or make foolish decisions. Because if they do, they'll end up just like Martin Vinterkorn. American Scandal is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? I'd like to say I'd take a nap or read a book, but knowing me, I'd probably end up working. Because there's always work to do, right? A lot of us wish we had more time. But time for what? Do you know what's important to you and how to make it a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com AS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash A-S. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath, then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. It's January 7th, 2017. Oliver Schmidt stands in a gift shop in Miami International Airport. He holds an Epcot Center magnet in his left hand and a cartoonish map of Florida in his right. Schmidt used to be a manager at Volkswagen at the company's offices in Michigan. Normally, he wouldn't care about souvenirs like these, but right now, on the verge of boarding a 10-hour flight back to Germany, he feels just a bit sentimental. He owns a home in Florida. It could be a very long time before he sets foot in the state again. Everyone had warned Schmidt not to return to the States at all, not after FBI officials had questioned him just before Christmas. His friends urged him to stay back in Germany. Schmidt told him not to worry. If the FBI wanted him, they would have nabbed him before when they were questioning him. So he decided to go back to the U.S. for just a few days. It would be a farewell trip to America. Now his vacation is over, and it's not so easy to say goodbye. He thinks about the South Florida warmth and sunshine, then he thinks about the blizzard that's probably blowing across Wolfsburg this very minute. He shudders. 
The line at the airport gift shop lurches forward, and Schmidt reaches the register. As the cashier rings up the souvenirs, Schmidt suddenly has a strange feeling, as though someone is watching him. He scans the shop. There are a couple of families grabbing snacks, and a customer shopping for t-shirts. And, Schmidt notices, a man in a gray suit reading a magazine. But no one's looking at him. Schmidt tries to assure himself. It was just his imagination. There's no reason to be nervous. Still, he can't shake the feeling. Something feels off, and his heart starts to pound. The cashier hands over the receipt, and Schmidt collects his souvenirs. He makes a quick exit from the gift shop and heads toward his gate. His flight is boarding soon, so he quickens his pace. He's about ten yards from the gate when he suddenly stops. Two men in suits are hovering near the counter, talking with an airline agent. Schmidt's heart starts to pound. These men are wearing the same gray suits as the guy by the magazines. Schmidt makes a quick decision. He turns and heads in the opposite direction, back the way he came. He figures he can fly another day. For now, all that matters is getting out of the airport. He sees a crowd up ahead. If he can just get in the middle of it and blend in, he'll be safe. Hey! One of the men is yelling after him. Schmidt doesn't look back. He just puts one foot in front of the other as fast as he can. Oliver Schmidt! Stop! Oliver Schmidt! They converge on him from all sides, in identical gray suits. One grabs his arm. Get off me! Get off me! Another agent grabs his other arm. Stop! Stop! You have no right! You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. What is this? What is this? If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be provided for you. The man flashes his FBI badge. Oliver Schmidt, you're under arrest for participating in a conspiracy to defraud the United States government and violate the Clean Air Act. No, 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 no. There's a mistake. This must be a mistake. I was already questioned. There weren't any charges. There are now. Charges were filed December 30th. (sighs) No, I, I want my lawyer. You can call him from the corrections facility. Jail? No, no. Mr. Schmidt, it is what it is. We're going to take you into custody and keep you there. The judge thinks you might be a flight risk. Imagine that, in an airport. Schmidt allows himself to be led through the terminal. There's no point in fighting it anymore. He is about to become the first Volkswagen employee to be thrown behind bars for the diesel emissions scandal. It's January 11, 2017. Cameras click as Attorney General Loretta Lynch enters the U.S. Department of Justice press room in Washington, D.C. Lynch is ready for them, her expression composed. She wears a dark jacket over a rose-colored blouse. Lynch likes her attire to reflect her mood, especially when speaking publicly. Today, she's businesslike, but far from dour. What she's about to announce is a major step forward in the case against Volkswagen. Lynch is joined on stage by senior officials from the Obama administration. She takes her place at the podium in front of the mounted Department of Justice seal and steps up to the microphone. She announces that the federal government has reached an agreement with Volkswagen. This agreement includes civil and criminal penalties. Volkswagen will plead guilty to three felonies and settle for $4.3 billion. That payment is on top of the $15 billion it paid last year. But that is not the end of it. The U.S. government is also bringing criminal charges against six Volkswagen executives. One is Oliver Schmidt, who was apprehended in the Miami airport. The other five men are for now in Germany. They were involved in engine development and government relations, among other areas. Lynch steps aside. She lets the FBI assistant director, Andrew McCabe, sum it all up. 
This case is a great example of the fact that no corporation is too big, no corporation is too global, and no person is beyond the law. Lynch then goes on to say that she's proud of what the Department of Justice has achieved, but she thinks there is still much work to be done. It is satisfying to have Oliver Schmidt in custody and James Liang cooperating with their efforts, but she wants more. She wants the man who was at the top of the company when it decided to break the law. She wants Martin Vinterkorn. It's April 13, 2018. Matthias Müller walks into a boardroom at Volkswagen in Wolfsburg, Germany. Several people are already seated, and several trail him. The blinds are closed and the room is dim. Müller glares at each of the dozen or so board members in turn and takes particular note of Wolfgang Porsche and Hans-Michel Piesch. Their faces are impassive, cold. Something about all of this reminds Müller of Caesar's final appearance in the Roman Senate. He sits down with a grimace and looks at his watch. The seconds pass slowly. A board member coughs. Soon, a second board member says they should begin. Mueller offers him a nod, and the meeting commences. One man points out that sales are steady. Another man talks about the current state of the 2020 models and says the designs are very promising. Volkswagen, he adds, is making excellent progress in its development of electric cars. Porsche thanks them for the updates. Then the room goes quiet again. Hans-Michel Piesch says that he understands that Mueller has something he would like to tell the board. Mueller knows that this is it. But he's not going to slink off, tail between his legs. He stands. He reminds the group that he joined Volkswagen 40 years ago at the age of 25. He was just a kid then, a tool-making apprentice. He wound up at Audi, then Porsche. He always loved cars. He wanted to work on them, build them, and drive them. He devoted his entire life to Volkswagen, and Volkswagen rewarded his dedication. In 2015, the members of this board promoted him to CEO. It was the proudest moment of his life. Mueller stops momentarily. He notices that several of the board members are having trouble making eye contact. Cowards, he thinks. Cowards with short memories. They don't remember that it was he who steered the company through its greatest crisis. They don't remember that there was a time, just a few months ago, when the world was prepared to bury Volkswagen forever. Mueller saved them all. There were bumps along the way, of course. More charges against the company and allegations against Mueller personally. Then there was the regrettable matter of Christine Holman-Denhardt. He had hired her to be the first woman to serve on Volkswagen's management board. She was going to help reform the company's internal culture and its approach to business ethics. She was a nice woman and a smart one, but too zealous. She was fired and left the company last year. Mueller doesn't talk about those bumps out loud, of course. He refuses to make a scene of any kind. He decided today he will maintain his dignity. And finally, the time comes. He tells the room that it has been an honor and a privilege to serve as their CEO. But after much reflection, he's decided to explore new opportunities. Mueller looks down to his left, the man who will replace him. He tells the room that Herbert Dies will make an excellent CEO. Dies will lead Volkswagen to unprecedented success in the years to come. And then Mueller makes it official. I hereby announce my resignation, effective immediately. Mueller sits down, and Dies forces a smile on his face. Mueller, of course, didn't want to resign, but he had to contend with the cousins, Wolfgang Porsche and Hans-Michel Piesch. They made clear that he was too closely tied to the old Volkswagen, the one that gave birth to the diesel scandal. Mueller tried to fight, but was outnumbered. The two cousins said they wanted Mueller out and Dies in his place. The board gave in, and so Mueller had no choice. 
As Dies gives his speech, Mueller turns and surveys the room. And then he locks eyes with Hans-Michel Piesch. Piesch has a triumphant twinkle in his eye. He grins arrogantly at Mueller, as if to say, better luck next time. And then he turns to listen to Dies' speech. Mueller clenches his jaws, and then the room seems to go quiet. He closes his eyes. The darkness feels like it's settling in. Mueller can sense more than ever that this is by no means a brand new day for Volkswagen. It's just another chapter in the same long story, one that never seems to change. Mueller opens his eyes and stares out the window, down at the city of Wolfsburg, and he thinks to himself, I hope I'm wrong. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. It's May 2018 at midnight. At his home in Frankfurt, Germany, New York Times business reporter Jack Ewing leans back in his chair. He removes his glasses and rubs his eyes. He wonders when the call will come in. The night just keeps getting later. Ewing is an American, but he's lived in Europe for the last 25 years. When it comes to Volkswagen, he's usually close to the heart of the action. But there are other times when he feels very far away from the breaking news. Tonight is one of those nights. It's mid-afternoon in America right now, and Ewing knows that something very big just happened there. But he needs the details before he can write the whole story. Ewing's phone rings just then, and he snatches it up. On the other end of the line is Neil Boudet, another Times journalist. He's calling from the U.S. Boudet tells Ewing that it's official. The U.S. is going after Martin Vinterkorn. The indictment was just unsealed in Detroit. Ewing lets out a low whistle. He's been waiting for this news for months now. He wonders what took them so long. Boudet describes the specific allegations. The Department of Justice claims Vinterkorn was told about the defeat device in 2014. They claim he helped facilitate a cover-up. 2014, thinks Ewing. That's right around the time the West Virginia University team first discovered the diesels were polluting off the charts. So Vinterkorn kept the real reason quiet. As they're wrapping up their call, Boudet asks Ewing if they think they'll get him. It's a good question. He's not sure exactly how the legal cases will play out, both in the U.S. and in Germany. Either way, Ewing wonders how long can Vinterkorn's story about rogue engineers hold up. It's February 2019, on an overcast day in Milford, Michigan. Hamath Campana sits at his desk at General Motors. The phone rings. It's his supervisor's assistant, asking Campana to head upstairs to the main conference room. His supervisor will be waiting there. Campana pushes back from his desk slowly, a feeling of dread hitting him in his feet. He walks to the elevator, wondering what this is all about. In some circles, Kapana is considered a hero for his work exposing Volkswagen back when he was at West Virginia University. But here at GM, where he's worked for five years, 
he's just another engineer in the emissions compliance department. He got this job shortly after completing his doctorate. What he did at WVU made him famous for a time, but that time feels long gone. People who saw him in newspapers back then might not even recognize him today. As a grad student, he was often clean-shaven with glasses. Now he wears contacts and has a full beard. Overall, though, he's happy with how things turned out. His invention exposed perhaps the biggest crime in automotive history. It revealed just how far a car company might go to cheat the system. Capano knows the world is a slightly safer place now because of his work, and that's reward enough for him. He doesn't need the spotlight, just a solid livelihood that allows him to do the work he loves. Which is why this phone call is so disconcerting. He can't think of the last time his supervisor invited an employee to the conference room to deliver good news. Still, Capana tells himself to remain optimistic. No need to fear the worst. Not yet. Capana emerges from the elevator and crosses over to the conference room. It's starkly furnished. There are a few chairs and a cheap table where his supervisor sits, alone. She stands as Capana enters. They shake hands, but the expression on her face is pained. Hello, Hamath. Thank you for coming up. Of course. They sit. The supervisor exhales slowly. Capana's heart sinks. Hamath, you have been an exemplary employee, truly exemplary, but but this is a difficult time at GM, and, and as you're aware, we're having to do some restructuring. I'm, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. Capana sits perfectly still, not sure what to say. He clears his throat. I'm, well, it's, it's unexpected. If, if I did anything wrong, I'd like you to tell me. Of course, yeah, no, it's nothing you did wrong. You've been great. Capana frowns. He has to ask the obvious question. Would this happen to have anything to do with my past? Your past? Yes, I caused a little bit of trouble for Volkswagen, if you remember. Oh, of course I remember, but I'm not sure what you're getting at. Come on, many people around here are a little afraid of me. I'm not a professional whistleblower, if that's what you're worried about. I just do my job. Hamath, if you saw anything out of the ordinary around here, we'd want you to tell us. This isn't personal, nor does it have anything to do with your past. It's just the unfortunate reality of GM's strategic transformation. I see. And how many people are losing their jobs during this transformation? About 4,000. Well, that's a lot. If you say it's not personal, I guess I have to believe you. (laughs) This puts me in a really tough position. I'm not a citizen. I work here on a work visa. Yes, we're aware. We can offer you two months' pay and and a ticket back to India. Kapana sighs, stares off, thinking about his life in America, which may soon come to an end. Hamath, I, I wish we didn't have to do this. <sighs> well, thank you for everything. Kapana can see that the supervisor wants to say more, but she can't. There's nothing more to say. So he stands and shakes her hand. Without another word, he turns and heads towards the elevator. On his way back to his desk, what was his desk, he considers the assertion that this wasn't personal. Kapana can't help but question this. It's possible he's just another victim of downsizing. Maybe GM took this opportunity to rid themselves of a potentially troublesome employee. Regardless, Kapana is proud of what he and his fellow grad students did back at West Virginia University. He can't help smiling at the memory. Barreling down the road in that Passat, their testing equipment rattling and thumping with every bump. They changed the world, and no one will ever be able to take that away from them. 
Kapana is prepared to leave GM today holding his head high. It was a privilege to be on the front lines, protecting the future of the planet. As an emission scientist, it's a battle he'll never stop fighting. It's April 2019 in Wolfsburg, Germany. Martin Winterkorn stands on the back porch of his home and looks up at the sky. Creamy white clouds drift upon a sea of pure blue. It's quiet and peaceful out here. Vinterkorn has lived in this house for years, but as the head of Volkswagen, he never had the time to enjoy it. But now, these long few years later, he finally does. Vinterkorn's phone rings. He answers, and it's his lawyer, Felix Dürer. Dürer cuts to the chase. German attorneys in Braunschweig have broadened their investigation of Vinterkorn and seek to nail him for fraud and false advertising. There is also a good chance that Ferdinand Piesch is cooperating with them, doing what he can to put Vinterkorn behind bars. They say Vinterkorn knew about the defeat devices. They say he masterminded the plot that led to the scandal. They say that he's a criminal. Vinterkorn pauses for a moment, takes it all in. Birds chirp in the distance. Can they prove it? He asks. His lawyer replies that he doesn't think so. Vinterkorn smiles and gazes across his beautiful lawn. Good, he says, and hangs up the phone. On August 25, 2017, engineer James Liang was sentenced to 40 months behind bars. Later that year, Oliver Schmidt was sentenced to seven years in order to pay a $400,000 fine. Martin Vinterkorn is still under indictment in Germany and the United States. No warrant has been issued for his arrest, and he continues to deny any wrongdoing. Alberto Ayala left his job as head of emissions testing at the California Air Resources Board in 2017. He is currently an air quality official in Sacramento. Hamath Kapana returned to Bangalore, India in 2019. He spends his time jogging and doing freelance work, helping study and improve local air quality. He considers coming back to the U.S. one day as a postdoctoral researcher, but he says he doesn't mind working anywhere if it means he's doing what's right. And he'd like Bangalore's air to be clean so he can go jogging without issues. The Volkswagen diesel emission scandal is still ongoing. In May 2019, the company agreed to pay a $600 million fine for putting defeat devices in Porsche diesel engines. That December, German authorities raided Volkswagen's offices in Wolfsburg, where they searched for incriminating documents pertaining to emissions fraud. Volkswagen is still engaged in settlement talks with prosecutors in Canada, Germany, and the United Kingdom. The company has paid $23 billion to resolve lawsuits and criminal charges in the U.S. As of today, the total financial toll of the scandal for Volkswagen is $33 billion and counting. Environmental Research Letters, a scientific journal, attempted to calculate the health costs of the scandal. It estimates that between 2008 and 2015, Volkswagen diesels emitted enough air pollution to eventually cause 59 premature deaths. Next on American Scandal, we speak with Cynthia Giles, a former senior official at the Environmental Protection Agency. As head of the EPA's enforcement office, Giles helped negotiate a major settlement with Volkswagen as the automaker faced fallout from its diesel emission scandal. From Wondery, this is American Scandal. Just a quick note about our reenactments. We can't always know exactly what was said, 
But everything in our show is based on historical research. American Scandal is hosted, edited, and executive produced by me, Lindsey Graham, for Airship. Sound designed by Derek Barrons. This episode was written by Hannibal Diaz, edited by Christina Malsberg, produced by Gabe Riven. Executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Jenny Lauer-Beckman, and Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.